This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village, episode number six. I'm so pumped about today's episode, guys. I got to sit down with Sarah Bivens. She is an amazing woman. She has two podcasts. She runs a really phenomenal Instagram account. She's a mama, mamapreneur is the term she gave herself, and she is a lifestyle coach. She's she's really, really fantastic, and I got to sit down and dive into the world of screen time with her. We talked about how screen time affects the tiny humans and what we're looking at when we're looking at screen time and just how to manage this from the adult perspective when it's something we didn't grow up with and there's not really a whole lot of research on the long-term effects because it hasn't been around that long. Definitely not at the capacity that it is now. So we just get real and raw and honest about the guilt, the shame, the fears, um, and the realities of parenting in 2018. So let's dive on into this amazing episode. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Hey everyone, it's Alyssa. Today I'm here with an empowering woman who came into my life last year. She's one of those people I immediately connected with. Her energy is amazing. Her mission of living a balanced mama lifestyle and supporting other parents in that journey is just inspiring. You may already know her from her two podcasts, Doing It at Home and the Balance and Motherhood podcast. Sarah Bivens and I get to dive into the world of technology and what it means for tiny humans. Sarah, I'm so pumped to be here with you today. Hey, can you start us off by sharing <laughs> a bit of your story, mission, and what brought you here? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, thank you, Alyssa. I appreciate you and the space that you're creating for parents and mamas alike who can just feel really overwhelmed and stressed out by all that parenting opens the door to. And, you know, that concept of a village, you know, we are very much in alignment with. And I think we really connected on that. And when I saw that's what you were about, I was like, yes. <laughs> so I appreciate the space that you're creating. Um, as far as myself, um, I guess a little bit of backstory on me. I am a balanced lifestyle coach. I'm a podcaster, as you mentioned, and I'm a mama. And with that, kind of a mamapreneur is the the term I like to use for it because I'm basically momming full-time and also running businesses full-time. Um, and Matthew and myself, my husband, we're doing that and navigating that crazy world together, you know, running businesses and working primarily from home while having a child. And she's now 16 months old and it's just been one of the most incredible journeys, but that I'm having a bunch simultaneously, you know, like in our businesses in parenting and in womanhood and motherhood and my own identity and purpose and who I am. 
Um, but I fell into, not even fell into, but kind of created what is now my balanced lifestyle coaching business about four years ago. Uh, I had already been in a space of self-improvement and self-growth and kind of what do I do to just maximize my potential and uncover the things that I know are there, but for whatever reason, I've been layering fears and doubts and all sorts of stuff over the years, you know, from programming to from when I was younger to experiences in my young adult life. So how do I kind of decode that and reprogram a way that serves me in being my best self and then I can go out and serve others? And so after being in that space for a while, I felt this this inspiration and this movement to start coaching people one-on-one. And so I put some things in place, some accountability measures. I got myself a mentor. And from that, I've been working with individuals over the past couple of years on things like developing personal mission statements for their life, really tapping into and unleashing that inner power um, and doing that reprogramming that I talked about that I did with myself. And of course, uh, becoming a mother 16 months ago. And even before that, you know, preparing for motherhood through pregnancy, I realized that there is a great underserviced uh, community of women who are seeking balance in motherhood and are seeking a way to love themselves and create self-care and self-love in motherhood without the guilt, without the shame of it, and just trying to find a balanced and sustainable way of doing it because, you know, balance isn't one size fits all. It's different for all of us. So that's been a little bit of what I've been doing with that and, um, you know, creating very specific tracks for mamas to experience balance in their life, whether it's through online programs that I've created or um, audio series. And uh, my husband, Matthew, and I host a podcast together called Doing It at Home, and that is about home birth and our home birth journey and what has led us down that path. And then through that, we have also shared other families and mama's birth stories, uh, home birth related, to just create a voice for that uh, demographic. You know, we found when we were doing home birth that there wasn't a lot of really empowering information. And so we wanted to change that. And so we did that. And I think that's, you know, eventually how we connected was bringing you on the show on Doing It at Home, which is an amazing episode. And all of your listeners should go listen to that. Um, But I guess we connected through social media and, you know, your expertise and your knowledge. I was like, oh, my gosh, we have to bring you on the show because I know our audience, our mamas need need this, Um, especially around the topic of sleep consulting, which is what we we touched on. And so that's our one podcast. And then I have my own podcast, which launched just a few months ago about balance and motherhood. So basically taking everything I just talked about before and putting that in a podcast form, just a way to reach mamas on the level of taking care of themselves. So it's not a podcast about parenting or how to do that more effectively. It's how do you love on yourself more effectively. Um, so that's kind of me in a nutshell, very long-winded <laughs> in a nutshell, but um, that's, that's me right now in this current iteration. I love it. I think it's amazing that you just casually talk about being a mom boss in there with all these amazing things that you're doing Um, (laughs) and just serving, just serving the world. I mean, you're serving moms everywhere and and dads and parents alike. Um, I mean, I have followed your podcast, both of them now, uh, and I learn from them constantly. It's fantastic. Uh, One thing that I love that you, yeah, thank you. One thing that I love that you just talked about was um, having to go back and like work through your coding, right? So mm. what we know about these tiny humans is that we develop 80% of their brain in the first three years of their life and 90% by the time they're five, which is a crazy statistic. Um, and That's so, fascinating. That right? kind of blows my mind. <laughs> and so what we're trying to do now is, and, and my whole goal with FEED is to provide parents and caregivers and teachers with, the resources that they need to lay this foundation at the beginning um, so that you're doing less of the going back and decoding and working through things. Of course, you'll always have experiences in your life that you'll end up working through, but if you have the foundation in place, it's a lot easier to do. Um, oh, yes. That's, that's yeah. wonderful. Cool. So one of the things that is kind of mind-blowing right now is the screen time topic um, because it's ever-changing and it 
scary because it's unknown. Um, there's rapid change and growth in technology. I mean, what we grew up with is vastly different than what our kids are growing up with. Um, mm. And it's not going anywhere. You know, it's not leaving. Technology is here to stay, it seems, and continues to evolve. And so we have to figure out now very quickly, <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, what does that mean for kids today, now, and in the future? And then how do we how do we use technology to serve uh, our kids and, and make sure that we're not um, inhibiting any of their development? So we're going to chat through that. I love that you reached out with this question. I think it's really important and often not talked about. It's so taboo. So many people, I compared it uh, to co-sleeping, but so many people are doing it and a lot of people just feel ashamed about it because there are these arbitrary guidelines. Uh, so I just want to yeah. kind of dive in and understand it a little bit more. Uh, yeah, totally. Right. When you when you put a call out for questions, you know, like what are some things that are relevant for you right now? You know, just to to add some some juice on what you just said about the topic, you know, I kind of wrote it with like a winced face, you know, kind of squinted eyes and like my face <laughs> all crinkled up because I'm like, oh, screen time because it's one of those <laughs> things like you kind of want to know more about. But at the same time, I'm like, with this information that I'm going to gain now, what am I going to do with it? Like, what's that going to mean? And what are we going to make it mean? And what sort of judgments or fears are going to pop up? So it's definitely one of those you're like, mm, I don't want to really rip off this band-aid, but let's do it. <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, well, I, I think the, the best thing that we're going to take away from this uh, is that not all streams are created equally and right. uh, that it, you know, at the end of the day, uh, there will be times where you're just going to have to do what you have to do to survive it. That's okay. We're not going to do like crazy damage to these kids by watching a movie, right? Like we're going to be okay, but let's walk, kind of walk through what the uh, AAP recs are, the American Academy of Pediatric recs, uh, because those changed recently. Mm. And that was kind of like a big mind blowing thing prior. Uh, they had said no screens under two years old. It was just like a hard and fast rule. And clearly nobody was following that. Um, and so they had to dive in deeper and kind of look at like, all right, with technology today, now what does this look like? I mean, we have people FaceTiming with families and Skyping and how does that factor into the no screen rule and all that jazz. So uh, the AAP recs as they stand right now are that under 18 months old, there should be no screens except video chatting. So essentially mm. like no TV, no movies, no tablets, no um, iPhones, whatever. Uh, I still don't think that a lot of people are following that. And I think that that's okay, but that's, that's they're under 18 months right now. And then 18 to 24 months, they're saying uh, you should, you could watch high quality programming, but with an adult present. Uh, mm. So this often takes away why parents are using a screen. Like, do you want to take right. a shower? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, like, I can throw on an episode of Daniel Tiger or Sesame Street and go shower or make dinner or do something where I can step away for a minute and know my child is safe and chilling in one place. And uh, so to mix it in with the adult has to be present, I think, is also still a challenge. Um, and then from two to five, they're saying... Uh, up to one hour a day of high-quality programming, again, with parents co-viewing. And the idea behind parents co-viewing, of course, is that we can answer questions, we can build on things. So even they're saying with apps, that when kids are playing apps, that parents should be co-viewing so that we can take language to the next level or, like, add that additional challenge. Um, mm. So that's where the AAP is coming at this. Um, and... I think largely we just, we don't, there's a lot we don't know because it's changed so much that it's hard to do research that fast. Um, and we don't know the long-term effect yet because it hasn't been so long-term yet. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. That's what I was thinking about, you know, with some of these things, I'm like, how do we know the long-term effects yet? Because some of these technologies haven't been around long enough for us to see like a generational shift or impact or anything like that. So that was definitely something that came up for me as I was you know, mulling on this topic and thinking about what, you know, what we would go into. So that's, I mean, it's a great point that you mentioned that, but at the same time, it also leaves you feeling like, ah, but then what, <laughs> what totally. do we know? 
So what we do know is like brain mapping while kids are playing these games or watching TV or watching a movie. We know we've been able to map their brain so we know what's happening in terms of stimulation. Um, mm. We do know in like a shorter term effect, we know um, what they are or are not getting out of uh, apps and movies and interactions with technology in terms of uh, language development and motor development. Uh, energy expenditure, things like that. Those, those are statistics that we do know. Uh, we mm-hmm. also know that uh, the t- like TV viewing is on a decline and mobile is on an incline. So right. I mean, it's like tripled. It was f- about f- average of five minutes uh, a day in 2011 for kids, and now it's an average of 48 minutes a day in 2017 for mobile which is crazy wow. um, that has skyrocketed in, in six years. So, And so that I'm clear, all... that means like on a phone or a tablet or something? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, kind of like not sitting in front of a TV show or uh, like a TV in general watching a movie. Okay. Um, so those are things to just like know, that we know things are changing, right? Um, when I look at screen time, things that I'm looking at are like if, kids are doing it for a long period of time. And so for me, that looks like over an hour or two hours a day, right? Like we don't want them just sedentary, irregardless of like the messaging or, you know, the stimulation piece, just that they're sedentary for that long. Um, Mm. It is not ideal for young kids. We want them moving around. There's so much gross motor and fine motor. Um, And then just the innovative play part of, of being a kid. I mean, I've, I've seen pictures and videos of Maya, uh, your sweet little girl posted. And I love how you'll just like let her dive into anything. She can make the biggest yeah. mess with the like, pots and pans and whatever. And I love that. That's so innovative and, and fantastic. Um, and uh, you can tell Matthew I said that. Uh, nice. <laughs> In your face. <laughs> uh, and yeah, but what what they're missing out on is that sort of play, that movement and the innovative mm-hmm. play when they're sitting. Um, so those are things to be mindful of. And then uh, we, of course, are going to look at like, what's the content and the messaging in mm. whatever they're watching? You know, does it align with your values? Um, mm-hmm. Are they learning things that they're coming back to you and saying, and you're like, oh no, that wasn't the message yeah. I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so those are those are some things to be mindful of. I can pause here and you can you can throw any questions you you have or you've been thinking of at me. It's so frustrating to spend the money and effort to buy your kids clothes just to have them grow out of the size within a week or have your kids complain that they itch, pinch or just aren't comfortable. If you're with me on this, you've got to check out Posh Peanut. Their sensitive skin-friendly clothes are made from viscose from bamboo stretch with your kid as they grow, and they're also made to last. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, super cute clothing for kids and families. It is the softest thing, y'all. The design is all done in-house with different patterns, and it came in the mail, and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to wear this for myself every day. Their luxe women's pajamas and robes were all that I wanted to wear postpartum for nursing and hanging out on the couch with Mila. It helps so much that the fabric is breathable and chemical-free, which means they're delicate against Mila's sensitive skin, too. And I totally get why Posh Peanut is loved by over 1 million parents. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code VILLAGE. Go to poshpeanut.com village and use promo code VILLAGE for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com village, promo code VILLAGE. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. 
BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. Yeah. So, I mean, of course, when you mentioned the original, you know, timelines and you said no screens before two and then like adjusted to even 18 months, you know, of course, there's a few little things going off and me like, like, didn't, didn't make that like, Oh, and then I'm sure there's even some listening who are like, yeah, no, we didn't make it that long. Um, and then what we automatically make that mean. And I think that's where we with ourselves could do some work before we even go into how we are managing or guiding our children is like, how are you with, you know, information and how are you receiving it and how are you responding to it? Because if I'm automatically going into a place of shame, guilt, and judgment over how I'm already scarring Maya at 16 months and, you know, messing her up royally for life and scrambling her brains, um, that doesn't then help me in the later points that follow, like how I actually will manage the amount of screen time if we've already entered into the territory of screen time, which we have. So I'll put out there, you know, Maya watches some, um, we don't have cable, because I feel like, I don't know, cable is, we have, you know, we have like the Netflix and the sling and the thing like that. So we have that Roku. Um, so she definitely watches some programs on that or like some movies. And then I've absolutely handed her my phone with a Mickey Mouse Clubhouse episode on it. Like, here, do this so I can like pee in peace or I can, you know, <laughs> get get us out of the house. Or even a few times in the car, we've done long car rides with Maya over the past few months, like up to 10 hours. And my, I'm still breastfeeding too. So like my boobs can only do so much over a 10 hour period of time. So like, there's definitely been some tablet and phone usage there. Um, so that's like the initial thing that comes up for me when you, when you share those guidelines, I'm like, Oh, I failed. You know, it's what, a, what comes up like, okay, let's get past that Sarah. Let's like get with yourself and then let's see how moving forward you can, I don't know, do it in a way that works for you. You know, yes, be mindful of the guidelines. But like, I mean, you said it when we first started doing what's ultimately best for you. And then also just reading other cues or maybe supplementing with other things as well. If I do need to just set her down for 10 minutes to watch something so I can go do whatever. Okay, well, maybe we play more later that day or we read more books that day or something like that. So I don't know if that makes any sense and is that a, if that's an effective strategy from a, you know, a standpoint of an expert like yourself, but that's kind of what comes up for me when I think about, okay, if she does watch a little too much one day, maybe we just like, you know, none the next day or just ways to kind of balance it out is what I start thinking about in terms of how I would make it work. Um, so that's, that's yeah. some of what comes up for me there. So I don't know if any of that's resonating or making sense. Absolutely. And I think you're, you're a hundred percent right that you are not alone. In fact, I think uh, like you are very much in the majority that your tiny human has watched TV and that's still fine. There's such a stigma around, I mean, with so many things in parenting, right. And especially in the world of social media where it's like under a magnifying glass and it's Instagram for whatever. Um, There's such a stigma with, with so many things. And this is one of them. And also there's this like, first kids thing right we're like maybe for a first kid you might even make it like eight months before your kid watches the screen and Mm. then the second kid you're like all bets are off they were two weeks old and they were with their sibling in the living room while the show was on so I could shower or do whatever right like I, I I think I hear where the AAP recs are coming from I think that they're trying to um play it safe because there's so much that we don't know but ultimately that I don't find them realistic uh, bold statement, I guess, but I, I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I've, <laughs> I have not met one family that has made it to 18 months with no screens whatsoever. And I think that's fine. I don't think that they, these tiny humans, because they're sitting for 30 minutes to watch a show are that we're ruining them by any means. In fact, I think that 
they need to learn about technology. They need to learn about how to manage the stimulation. They need to learn how to use technology. I mean, I had a 20 month old in my class last week ask me to take a selfie with her. <laughs> and <laughs> like, that's amazing. We have a little uh, iPod in our classroom that we, like iPod touch that we use for all of our pictures in our classroom. And she was like, selfie? <laughs> it was fantastic. And so we took a selfie. I think that's fine. You know, I, I think that a lot of people be like, oh no, she knows the word selfie. Uh, yeah. She's 20 months. And I was like, oh, great language development. Uh, and let's <laughs> take a selfie. <laughs> And so, you know, I think it's all, this all comes back to balance, which is something you live and breathe. And I think that it's so true. I mean, all of us grew up on TV. I'm the fourth out of five kids. So who knows what I was watching, (laughs) right? Yeah. Yeah. I I watched Friends (laughs) as a child, but now I look back and it's like, whoa, that messaging is maybe not appropriate. But (laughs) yeah, Matthew and I were... just talking the other day about that how we watched films when we were younger that now when we talk about or we see again we're like whoa all of that you know all of those innuendos and everything went way over my head and here I was like even reciting some of those lines you know in yeah. joking or whatever and having no idea what I was talking about <laughs> oh absolutely absolutely so I think that like largely I, I take it with a grain of salt right like making sure of course that if I mean, now if I watch a movie with my mother-in-law, she's an amazing, empowering feminist woman, she will point out things like, she's like, oh, I like that they had a female lead here. Or Mm -hmm. she'll like point out little things like that that my husband got to grow up with and I'm so grateful for. Um, Just like identifying those things in the messaging or when that doesn't happen and throwing out Mm. the other side of like, hmm, I wonder why they didn't have any women as a strong character here. things like mm-hmm. that um so just being able to identify like what's the content and what messages are we sending these tiny humans as they're as they're watching this stuff and yeah. uh, being able to supplement that if we can but also if we can't that's okay you're gonna see messaging all over the place from books to just media in general i mean you can't walk anywhere without seeing media it's on a tablet yeah. in a grocery store <laughs> yeah and, so uh, i have a question that that kind of or, question kind of a or a um observation so when we were talking about this topic beforehand and I was emailing with you you know I mentioned that whenever I see home videos or pictures of myself you know just hanging out on an average day I was probably watching tv you know I was probably watching Sesame Street or whatever was on um so I probably watched a ton of tv um and you know you can make the argument like I'm fine but I guess what's different now and like what Maya is experiencing or is exposed to is what you just kind of said media being everywhere. I mean, even if we didn't have a TV in the house, let's just say we didn't have a TV, we still have our computers, Mm -hmm. we still have our phones and then going places. There are some restaurants that have TVs on or you Mm -hmm. go to certain stores and there's technology going everywhere. And so I, I guess, you know, uh, there's a ton of differences in my experience and what Maya's is and will be in that even if I was watching TV a lot of the day, just the sheer availability of programming would change throughout the day because it's TV. You know, you didn't have, you couldn't pull up Netflix and you couldn't, you know, uh, binge a whole season of, you know, Sophia the First or whatever. You couldn't do that. Um, But now that you can, I guess I'm just wondering, and I know we mentioned we don't know the full impact yet because of just sheer amount of time it's been available, but what are some of the, clear like non-judgmental data on what we have noticed that extreme screen exposure does do to the development or behavioral patterns yeah. or whatever what are some of those things totally so extreme screen exposure we know we see delays we see motor delays we see language delays um okay. you know, largely because these kids aren't moving and they're not interacting right so mm. um there is data that shows that like with FaceTime, kids can even learn like language development when they're interacting with a human on the other side of the screen, which is really right. cool information to find out. But if they're just looking at a screen and taking it in and they don't have to respond to anything. I mean, some of these shows are like pause for a kid response. Yeah. The kids <laughs> Which almost color? Never yeah. Respond. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And the kids almost never respond because it doesn't feel like an interaction. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we know we know that we know that it with intense 
screen exposure that we can see delays in, in motor and language. Um, but uh, also then to build on that, the content and messaging piece, uh, we, we don't know a whole lot about yet. I mean, we know in general in life that the content and messaging you're exposed to matters. Um, right. Both, you know, not just for media, but from whomever is in your life, your teachers, your parents, your grandparents, all the content and messaging you receive matters. Um, words matter, right? And so that's a huge part of it too, is like, what are they watching? Is it an episode of Daniel Tiger or something on PBS or Sesame Street? Cool. Um, we know that that content and messaging tends to be very kid friendly. Um, but is it something that's designed for adults? Are they sitting around and watching like soap operas during the day? Uh, mm -hmm. What does that mean for them? That Those are different questions there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there are definitely motor and language delays or something for our early tiny humans to be mindful of if they're sitting for forever. But that doesn't mean that you can't like go watch a movie <laughs> with your tiny mm -hmm. humans. Um, I mean, I had a uh, little kids grow up on me. I was babysitting this fam for the family for the weekend, like Friday to Sunday. This tiny human threw up on me. I have three kids. And I was like, all right, we're going to have a movie morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're going to not move so I can do some laundry and <laughs> take care of this. And she's not running around throwing up anywhere else. Um, and so we watched a movie. And, I mean, it was two kids who were at that point just turned two and uh, a four-year-old. And we all sat down and watched a movie. And they're still fine. And they're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And it's all that balance, right? Like the rest of the day we ran around and we played and um, they got to have their free play as well. The rest of the day was unstructured for them. But mm. finding balance in life with, with most things here. Um, right. But I, I really think that there's also a huge use for technology. I mean, it it's huge. Even when I like went to start Seed, I turned to someone younger to do my website and all the tech things that I didn't know how to do. Uh, I was like, hey, you grew up with this more than I did. and it Oh, yeah, I totally get that. <laughs> yeah. And, and and even, I, I mean, I'm doing, uh, writing a book and doing some research on uh, motion coaching methods that I developed with a friend. And my, my friend and colleague is almost 10 years older than I am. And so anything tech related falls into my lap. She's like, I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I taught her how to like use Google Drive and she was like, okay, I've got this. <laughs> and now anything that comes along, she's like, I don't know, how do we do this? Is this possible? Um, and so I think that, you know, there's, there's such a need for tech information and how to use technology and how can we incorporate that for, for good? How can we, I mean, there was a commercial that uh, G&E did with a little girl whose dad like asks her to take out the garbage. And so she designs like a system, um, like a pulley system that she creates that does it for her. And then she ends up using technology down the road and goes into a career path of like designing technological systems to make things run more efficiently. And I think that's very real. And we can use technology for good to do things like that. And kids need to be exposed to it, I think, throughout the years to to know mm. how to take it to the next level and do things that are super cool with it that we can't do yet. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. And I want that little girl at my house. Um, <laughs> but that, I, I can appreciate that. And kind of to the point of what you said, if you are engaging in screen time or you, they are on the phone or they are, you know, in front of the TV, if you are going to do it, and I'm going to think about this for myself, if I'm choosing to, you know, grab the remote and turn it on to make it like an interactive thing with her. So to watch it with her for that feedback, for that kind of interaction, and also, you know, for her to see me and how I respond to certain things, you know, to kind of magnify certain points that come up, or if something's really happy and exciting, like to create that connection, and to just like see her react, because that was something I started to notice you know, we'd watch, we, we had a very small kind of repertoire of things we would watch back and forth for the first few times we like really sat and watched something just because I didn't want a slew of programming. It's like, let's pick like yeah. one show that we'll pick an episode from and like one or two movies. Now, of course, that's torture for us because we have 
songs incessantly in our heads from the same <laughs> things, but I just liked keeping like the same things for her. And then I could tell over time the reaction to certain things, like laughing at certain parts or, you know, like clapping mm-hmm. at certain parts, like that was like, oh my gosh, you know, you see things, you know, wheels turning and things formulating. <laughs> and so to experience that with her, I think is very helpful for you know, if, if it means, like, I need to sit down for a few minutes, so, like, we're just going to sit down and we're going to watch something, but I'm going to be in it with her. Like, I'm going to be part of the experience. Um, so that's something I could definitely use uh, going forward and kind of incorporate. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, like, you know, if you choose to have a second kid, there are going to be times where you're going to have to sit and breastfeed. And yeah, you know, it could be a time where you can still feel like you're engaging with Maya as well, you know. Mm-hmm. And sharing yeah, that's a great her. point. Um, yeah, no, I think that I think that's awesome. And you're also they're going to take these messages and apply them to life, right? So uh, I had I ran a tiny human's big emotions group last week, and uh, one of the moms was talking about her tiny human taking something from Daniel Tiger that uh, he had learned, and she was like, I remember it just from like a snapshot. She had been walking by. Uh, like in the living room, she was doing laundry at the time and was was walking by and saw this on Daniel Tiger and didn't really think much of it. And then a few days later, like heard these words come out of his mouth and he was doing the same thing. And and it was a lesson she wanted him to receive. So that's fantastic. Wow. It just, all of a sudden she was like, whoa, he's taking all this in. Like, I really have to know what he's watching because he's Mm -hmm. applying this now to life. Um, and and then you can relate stories back to, I mean, from a lot of these shows, these tiny human shows are, you know, made intentionally and are addressing things like transitions or going to school for the first time or things like that that are hard for kids sometimes to experience. And if you can relate it back to something that feels familiar but is not doesn't have anything to do with them, like a Daniel Tiger episode, um, then it can be something for them to relate to. Uh, yeah. I often suggest social stories for parents to tell um, where you make up your own story uh, kind of about whatever the thing is, the conflict is, is this kid having a problem with or the transition, um, but you remove their name and you put somebody else's name in there and they get to identify with this person uh, that you're making up and uh, ask questions about it and kind of go in depth on that. And I think media is another way to do that, that you can intentionally pick the episode that might have benefit for them in an area that they're struggling if they're having a really hard time interacting with other kids right now or sharing their parents or you know whatever kind of topic is really tough for them right now there's usually an episode whether it's Sesame Street or like a PBS programming that you can find that can help them process what they're going through Mm. Mm. I like that well I can definitely say I feel a little bit better and like almost always with everything you know some of my fears and anxieties about what you might have to share in terms of statistics and data like what that would mean or what I would make that mean I definitely don't feel like <laughs> I'm um you know turning Maya's brain to liquid and just destroying no. her um by what we're by what we're doing so that that definitely feels nice because you know there's plenty <laughs> of other opportunities to feel like you're messing up your your tiny human um so this one I, I don't want to lose sleep over <laughs> yeah no I absolutely wouldn't and I think a lot of people do um and I, I honestly think it's more common with the first kid because as with everything there's just more time yeah to think about all these things right and then you have another one and you're like a little bit more in survival mode and uh, so there's less time to think about things like this, but um, it, I, I think it's really important to address. I mean, it's it's very stigmatized, just like you said when you wrote that email. You're like, ee, do I, yeah, yeah. I want to talk about uh, Yeah. <laughs> Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, 
wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So, join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts, starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking It. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? laughing in the face of motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're aiming more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. So I'm I'm curious then, what are some things that you do or give suggestions for with parents who kind of feel lost as it relates to screen time or maybe parents who are trying to reduce it. Um, what are some things you suggest or, or do with them? Because one thing I will say, like one of the, I guess you could call it uglier sides or like more potentially like scary sides of this, the screen exposure is I've definitely seen Maya in like a little bit of a meltdown and I've mm-hmm. like had enough, I've like used all of my tricks. And so I turn on the TV and something starts and she's like, ah, and then it stops and calms down. And in a way you could say like, okay, great. Like, thank God. But also it kind of like, I equated it to like, I don't know, like when you get sugar and you're automatically happy or something like that sort of same effect. Like it seemed like that for a moment. And I was like, oh, that's terrifying. <laughs> And yeah. I don't want that to be what calms her down. Like, ideally, I'd like her to calm and be chill. And then we can watch something, but not to, like, just be that the fix for the behavior. So, anyway, that was just, like, a little thing for me where I saw that. I kind of, like, dun, dun, dun. Um, so <laughs> yeah, what, are, absolutely. what are some suggestions you would have on, like, if you're looking to reduce it or, like, not use it as, as the resort or, like, the, the, the thing to just go to? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's important what you highlighted is using that as a coping mechanism, right? So Mm. um, in emotional development, there are five stages of emotional development, and one of them is coping. And how do we, when we're in a feeling, how do we cope before we can move on? And sometimes it means just expressing and expressing emotion on their timeline and not on ours. And so we often will turn to something to distract them out of it because we're over this, right? Like we mm-hmm. have an agenda, we have someplace we have to go or, or we're just like, this is kind of ridiculous. You didn't get this thing that you don't really need. And, and it feels like that emotion shouldn't be as big as it is. <laughs> and right. so we have the tools to just distract them out of it. And, and so we do. And sometimes we distract them with just communication and, and other times we might turn on a show or uh, we typically know how to make them stop crying, um, and uh, but yeah, how do we how do we make that not the goal? So I would say for that circumstance in particular, um, I mean that comes back to our emotion coaching work and how do we how do we help them learn to process their emotions and and not distract themselves out of it? What other coping mechanisms can you help her? Um, create so that she can then build them into coping strategies, right? Of like, when I feel, I told a tiny human the other day, I I hear that you're upset. When your body and your voice are calm, we can talk about it. Right now, you could take some space. You could ask for a hug. You could go find your tiger. Different things that could help her feel calm. Um, And I, I gave her just those three choices. And she ended up going and finding her tiger and feeling calm. And once she felt calm, then we could talk about it, right? Mm. Um, she's 21 months old um, but so the like not distracting them out of it piece I would offer her another coping strategy but for 
the um, in terms of just what else can we do besides screens in general, because it's not always that we're trying to stop an emotion from happening. Um, I would first start by setting guidelines so that these kids know like when are screens going to come um, and when aren't they going to come. So if it is important for you that at dinner they don't have a screen, then that's always the rule and they know that. And if they ever ask for it, I would say, oh, we don't have screens at dinner and just leave it at that. Um, and just setting those guidelines, like it sounds like for Maya, she knows maybe on a long trip she could get a screen and that's fine. I think the expectation of knowing when it could come and setting those guidelines up front, huge. Um, so you also so the time human who's having an emotion doesn't melt down and then think that they're just going to get the screen, but that they know like the screens are coming at a specific time. Uh, and my sister-in-law, every morning when she went to take a shower, or get ready for the day with her twins when they were infants, or I guess older infants, young toddlers, they would watch a, an episode of Mickey Mouse Club and that's how she got to get ready. And they knew, they came to mm. expect that like, I'm going to have this 20 minutes of TV. It comes after breakfast and this is when it happens, you know, like that expectation of the day, almost as a part of your routine. Um, and just not to say that every single day they're going to get a screen necessarily, but that they right. know the time slot where they would come. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then what that got me thinking on is are there time frames? where if you are to be doing screen time, I don't know, statistically, because I know every child's day is different, but mm -hmm. times where it's better to avoid screens versus if you are going to do it, maybe better in terms of their sleep windows, you know, yes. so like I would imagine within the hour they wake up, probably not the best idea to be in front of a screen and, and also maybe to say the same for the hour before they go to sleep. But that's just my guess. I have no idea. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So I would avoid screens. Uh, within the hour before they go to sleep or before they take a nap. Um, mm. So it's, you know, screens are stimulating. It's not, it's not a time that your child is winding down by any means. They're right. They're stimulated while they're watching. So uh, that coupled with at nighttime, the blue light uh, that inhibits the production of melatonin, uh, we want to avoid screens also for adults. Uh, many of us have yeah. before we go to bed. Um, and, uh, but in terms of wake-up time, all bets are off. They could have it, like, within that first hour of waking up or whatever. That's, that's okay. so fine. Um, in fact, I know a number of families that, especially with older kids, um, they might have, like, a time limit that they can wake up. Those, like, okay-to-wake clocks or whatever. And then they, they can get out of their bed at 630. But then they, for the first half hour, have, like, choices that they can make. They could read a book. They can grab the iPad. They can. And, and they know, like, on the iPad, these are the games you could play. And that gives parents right. until seven o'clock to either get ready for work or, um, you know, sleep in or do whatever, go to the gym, mm. <laughs> whatever you're going to do. I like that. Um, yeah. So kind of building that into the structure of the day. The only time that I would really definitely avoid screens is, is within an hour of sleep, whether it's nap or mm. Cool. Uh, and then cool. just being mindful of their stimulation. Like if you know. Yeah, like that, knowing your kid, right? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you know that every time that they stop watching screens, they have a huge meltdown because they're, it's usually the, the processing of the stimulation is, is too intense, that uh, they've been like very stimulated and then it's like a, a crash. Um, being mindful of that and maybe limiting the screen so that they're not as stimulated for as long. Mm. Ooh, that's great. That's all. And I think these are all things and the way you describe them. I feel like for, for me, like the average mom can get with that because it's not say, like you're not saying no screens ever. And if you do, you've crossed a certain line and it means something right. about you. And you're also not saying, you know, just like total free for all, like, you know, putting some things in place. And I think if you do it in screen time, it's going to help and carry over and have ripple effects with other areas too, like food and, and eating and, you know, activity and whatever. I think it's just like you can approach all these elements of parenting as I'm learning it, as I'm going through it, like you try out different things and then you kind of have a, a similar demeanor and way you go about things because that's who you are. And then I think kids appreciate consistency and appreciate structure that you're creating for them. So, um, yeah, I think this is all great. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. Uh, I think it's a common question. I hope that it can serve 
you know, my families and help them get some answers they might be looking for. Um, awesome. So as we wrap up now, I would love for you to share with our audience where they can connect with you and uh, kind of find you outside of this podcast. Yes. Um, so you can find me on my website. It's probably the easiest, best way to see everything that I'm up to. And that's uh, Um I'm pretty active on Instagram. So you can find me there at Sarah with an H M Bivens. And um, if you're interested in learning about the doing it at home podcast, um, you can search us on Instagram or our website as well. And that's diahpodcast.com or at diahpodcast on Instagram. So those are the the main vehicles in which to connect with me. <laughs> awesome. And so I'll link to all those in the show notes, your website, and the cool. Instagram, and both of your podcasts. And I also created a screen time freebie that kind of just gives an overview of what we just talked about. Uh, that oh, I that's will, so cool. I'll throw that into the show notes as well. Awesome. Awesome. Sarah, thank you so much for taking time out of your day and from uh, Maya and Matthew give them a thanks for me too and having this conversation to hopefully help serve more mamas and families out there. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for all that you're doing. It is much appreciated, believe. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at www.seedandsow.org podcast. If you love the show, take two minutes to leave a review and spread the love. Thanks for joining our village. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.